Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 461, Integration of Psychology and Christianity. I hope you listen and enjoy. Hi, welcome to Unit 6. Today we're going to be talking about role integration. We're also going to be talking about the transformational model of integration. And so we're going to discuss professional roles. We're going to discuss ethical concerns within role integration. So the first thing we're going to talk about is just the definition that we've talked about with all the other domains. It's the effort to live out in integrity, role expectations and patterns that arise from a psychological vocation in a particular context in a way that is simultaneously faithful to one's Christian identity. So these are all the different types of roles or positions that we may carry within our profession. And how do we live those out? So common settings are the Christian therapist at a secular institution, the Christian therapist holding a state-issued professional license, or the Christian therapist working within a Christian setting. So the roles are our obligations and expectations of behavior within a culture. And so our society sets roles for us. They have certain expectations. They expect counselors to be professional, for instance. They expect us to be warm and kind. They expect certain behaviors out of us. This is part of that role. So we've talked about worldview. We've talked about theory. We talked about the applied. Now we're going to talk about the profession. So professional mental health providers have licenses issued by the state. They're not federal. All licenses are issued at the state level. And each state has different requirements for their licenses. And each state has different laws that you have to follow and ethical codes that they expect you to follow. And so if you're licensed in Mississippi and in Louisiana, you'll find that there's some similarities and some differences. And so we have to make sure that we're aware when we accept a license of what those laws and ethical codes are that we are expected to uphold and abide by. And in most cases, and I'm a licensed professional counselor, and in most cases, the ethical codes I have found don't usually conflict with Christian beliefs. However, it's not always the case. Um, You'll find that as things go on, you find more and more conflict with certain Christian beliefs. And we're going to explore that in a little bit. But first, professional roles are those roles explicitly explicitly stated and required by an authoritative body, such as the government. In your book, it refers to these as de jure. Um, Those roles that come from general practices are not explicitly stated. Your book refers to these as de facto. But for this video, just know that it's either required by the government or more generally accepted practice. So the important thing to consider is if a Christian receives the state-issued license, they're saying that they're going to abide by the ethical codes and laws set forth by whatever government body issued the license, in in this case, whatever state it is. And so... The two main concepts that guide most ethical codes are called beneficence and non-maleficence. So beneficence is simply doing the right things for your client, acting in the right ways, always 
doing whatever benefits our clients. Non-maleficence means to not harm your clients. These are the two things that drive most ethical codes. So some ethical codes may cause tension with worldview, with a Christian worldview. For instance, many professional organizations and governments are beginning to pass more codes and laws concerning LGBTQ issues, and they're beginning to push against some Christian values by dictating what providers can and cannot do. The tricky part is we can't pick and choose which laws or codes we're going to follow or not follow. And this is why many biblical therapists say that we shouldn't be getting state licenses, state-issued licenses. Now, the other side of that coin, though, is if we don't have state-issued licenses, Christians with state-issued licenses, we don't have Christians working in certain areas. Um, If you want to work at a hospital, for instance, you're going to have to have some type of state-issued license. And we need Christians in hospitals. But if you accept that license, you're accepting the responsibility that comes with it and the ethical codes that come with it. And so we have to consider all of these issues when you're looking at integration and what model is the one that God wants you to follow. So we have different roles. You may work in a therapy office. You may be part of some professional society or association. You may work in higher education. You may go to a conference. You may serve on some professional board. You may work in policymaking. You may edit for a journal or write for a journal. So we have different roles that we engage with constantly within our profession. So some secular settings may discourage integrative counseling, but it might be what your client wants. And now you've run into an issue. If your employer is saying, we don't want you doing this, but that's what the client wants, what do we do? And so we do run into some issues occasionally with that. Many Christian counseling sites, on the flip side of things, many Christian counseling sites may expect explicit counseling, yet the client might not want that. Um, I worked at an explicit Christian counseling site previously, My employer expected me to do it. And I had clients all the time tell me, I don't want you talking about God in here. I just want you to do counseling. And, you know, we have to work with our clients and respect those boundaries. Um, But it's just issues to consider. Now, I like the, the two examples that Hathaway and Yarhouse use. One's from Daniel, one's um, in the next slide is from Esther. But with Daniel, there's this, they reference this passage, Jeremiah 29, 7. But it says, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And so they share the story of Daniel. Daniel lives out this command by Jeremiah. So Daniel served Babylon with his talents and gifts. He was respectful to the rulers of that time. And yet he was unwavering in his faith to God. Hathaway and Yarkhouse state, on matters that did not require a violation of a core of his faith, Daniel served and adapted to the Babylonian culture. However, on things that went against his um, the core of his faith, Daniel was unwavering in standing firm for God.
And we see something very similar with Esther. She was a Jew who married the Persian ruler. Persia had conquered Babylon, and now all the Jews were under their authority. But we don't have any conflict noted between Esther and the Persian culture until the order is given to begin killing the Jews. And at this point, now we see this conflict arise, and Esther's able to stand firm. And these stories show how different different characters in the Bible were able to stand firm in their faith and yet also be a part of the culture that they're in. And so when we're talking about role integration, we have to keep in mind that we might have to integrate within a culture that's not inherently Christian, and yet when the time comes, we may still have to stand firm and trust that God is good and that whatever that outcome is, is what God has intended. And so if you're pursuing licensure, you may at some point experience conflict, but that's not necessarily a reason to avoid licensure. Although for some of you, it might be. It might be that you feel God's calling you to a certain type of profession, and you might feel like God's leading you to avoid licensure. But for uh, many others, it's not necessarily a reason to avoid it. But you have to know there might come a time or a day where you have to stand firm, just like Daniel did or just like Esther did. We have to be willing to stand up for what Scripture says if the occasion calls for it. Now, your book also talks about something called role malintegration, um, where our roles don't fit well together, role discontinuity. It's the normative expectation that um, they perform a series of malintegrated roles. Um, Many will work in explicitly Christian settings to avoid role conflicts. In other words, um, to avoid having to deal with the conflict of explicit counseling in a secular setting that doesn't allow for it, some will just work in an explicitly Christian setting to begin with so they don't have that issue. But there's no guarantee that conflicts will be avoided, and it could potentially limit the population you serve, although that was not my personal experience. When I worked at an explicitly Christian counseling site, I had had many non-Christians come to me because their thought process was, well, you're a Christian and you should be nicer. And so that was literally their logic sometimes. So I've never felt too limited working at an explicitly Christian setting, but I also wasn't at a church. So you just have to consider that it could limit the population you serve if you're staying in explicitly Christian settings. And so Outward role integration, challenges are met with integrative perspectives within psychology and counseling. This is mainly what we've been talking about, where that inward role integration is when we're working within a church, um, where you're serving the church as a licensed professional. Um, It's often dealing with boundaries between functioning in a church setting as a member while also serving as a counselor, and that provides its own issues. Now, Here is where um, one of your discussion questions is about this, and I'd encourage you to really think through this. Most ethical codes state that sharing the gospel causes the therapist to move beyond neutrality. Now, they're not going to say the phrase sharing the gospel, but any time that I try to 
um, proselytize or share the gospel, I am now moving from unbiased to biased, which can technically create an ethical violation. And so the authors state that the gospel generally should, sharing the gospel generally should not occur in the professional setting, but more in personal settings. And they argued that you voluntarily accepted the license and the job, and they state that they shared the gospel in other areas, just not professionally. And I think this is an interesting um, point. I've never personally um, had an issue with it. Of course, most of the times where I have shared the gospel has been in an explicitly Christian counseling site. So it is an interesting discussion to have as far as is sharing the gospel which, if you're a Christian, you should believe that that is the most important thing for a person is to know Christ, regardless of where you stand on the integration um, model spectrum. Do we avoid that because it's potentially an ethical violation by pushing our beliefs onto our clients? Or do we see that as Scripture's truth and we're sharing truth with our clients? And... Personally, I've never had any major issues with it. I found so many opportunities over the years to share the gospel when I wasn't even trying. My clients would just naturally bring it up. Um, I think if you're going to share the gospel, you need to do some informed consent. You've got to tell your clients up front, hey, I'm a Christian counselor. Tell them what that means. Tell them what your model of integration is. You've got to practice within your competency. You can't do things that you don't know how to do or how to do well. Um, you've got to do some self-disclosure. And if a client says, no, you've got to respect that. If a client says, hey, I don't want you to talk about God with me, you've got to respect that. In addition, you still have to be treatment focused, especially if you're going to hold a license or bill insurance. Um, Because you can also get into things like malpractice or insurance fraud. But there's not a need to be fearful. I've had so many clients over the years tell me that they were open to hearing about God even the ones who initially started out by saying, hey, I don't want to hear anything about God. After so many sessions, and I built a good relationship, and they realized that I'm, I'm there to help, a majority of my clients have been very open to having spiritual conversations, and they just naturally go that way without me having to push any beliefs on my clients. So if you have any more questions, talk with your professor about that. Um, In the meantime, we're going to switch over to talking briefly about the transformational model. Um, Again, this is the one that's most obscure and vague, but it's not as bad as it sounds. So the transformational psychology model is an attempt to both rediscover and redesign our traditional way of thinking of psychology in relation to Christianity. So, and this is important, psychology becomes an act of love with a focus on spiritual formation or transformation. So one of the things that you need to understand is that when someone using a transformational psychology model (coughs) uses the word psychology, they're meaning something different than what you think of when you use the word psychology. Um, One, they're not trying to separate psychology and Christianity. It's just one construct, it's not two. It is an act of love, and it's about the spiritual formation of the therapist and of the client. It's not a Christian psychology. Christian psychology is trying to use established scientific methods to do original 
psychological research. They're trying to redefine psychology as an act of love. So when they say psychology, it literally means something else from what you typically think of, which is actually one of the criticisms we'll talk about in a little bit. So they say that the ultimate end of human existence is love. And if that's true, then all pursuits, including psychology, should be trying to achieve that goal of relational love. And so it emphasizes spiritual transformation of the clinician. Um, now we're relying on the power of the Holy Spirit for transformation. And it's an expectation for psychology as they're defining it to occur. And so if transformation is occurring through the power of the Holy Spirit, then it's becoming an act of love. So the pros is that it encourages the use of classical spiritual disciplines in the pursuit of spiritual transformation more broadly. It identifies love as the final appropriate end for all of our efforts. However, the cons, like I said at the beginning, it's vague, it's obscure. You're always left going, but how do I do it? And so having step one, step two, step three becomes a little bit more tricky. Um, in addition, redefining the word psychology goes against established meanings and cultural meanings. And so it's hard to just change the meaning of a word and people be able to grasp that. Um, in addition, it, it seems to abandon past work, knowledge, wisdom, and essentially starting over at the beginning. And it's too much emphasis on the person of the psychologist and not on the nature of the knowledge. So just to kind of recap, we've discussed role integration. We've talked about ethical codes, state laws, some of the issues with that. We talked about conflicts that arise from some of these ethical codes. We talked about outward, inward role integration and the transformational view. So what's next? You need to complete your reading assignments. Stay on top of that. You need to complete your um, papers. Your research papers are due this week. Um, so try to finish those up. You do have a quiz and you do have some discussion questions. Again, stay engaged, be an active participant. Stay on schedule, make sure you're talking with your professor for any questions that you have. Make sure you're staying engaged with those discussion questions with your peers in the, on the discussion boards. And if you just stay active and stay on schedule, you're gonna find a lot of success in this class. Hang in there, we're getting close to the end, you're almost done. Finish up those papers and get those turned in. Thanks.